Welcome to the U.S. Book Show. I'm Christopher Keneally, host of Velocity of Content from CCC. Over the coming hour, my guests and I will tour the world of books, leaping from continent to continent as fast as you could turn a page in your favorite novel. To learn more about publishing and literary developments in Europe, South America, the Middle East, and Africa, I'm very happy to welcome a distinguished panel of journalists and analysts who report on the news from those regions for leading publications and cover publishing trends for the publishing and bookselling industries. From Madrid, Spain, Javier Salea is CEO and founder of Dostecki.com, which analyzes the use of technology in the cultural sector and publishes annual studies on trends in the creative industries. Welcome to the program, Javier. Hello from Spain. Thank you for having me. From Paris, Fabrice Pio is editor-in-chief of Livre Hebdo, a weekly magazine covering publishing and bookselling in France. Welcome, Fabrice. Hi, Chris. Also from Paris, Olivia Snage is an editor and journalist whose reporting has appeared in The Guardian, Publishing Perspectives, and The New York Times. Welcome, Olivia. Thank you, Chris. And from Vienna, Rudiger Wieschenbart is the founder of Content and Consulting and editor of The Global 50, an annual ranking of the world's largest publishers. Welcome, Rudiger. Hello, Chris. And finally, joining me today with his editorial analysis and commentary is Andrew Albanese, senior writer, Publishers Weekly, and my regular guest every Friday on Velocity of Content. Good to see you, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So book markets everywhere have much in common, from the challenges of online commerce to bestseller lists dominated by authors with internationally recognized brands. Of course, important national differences remain despite globalization. Let's open our tour by landing in Madrid, Spain, and joining Javier Saleya in his office. Hola, Javier. Nice to see you. Hola, buenos dias. Buenos dias. So tell us about the situation in Spain. Let's go back to when COVID-19 first broke in the early spring of 2020. Spain was hit especially hard, we all remember, and was one of the first nations to impose a hard lockdown. For booksellers and for publishers, those were dark days. <laughs> Yeah, uh, almost uh, uh, two years ago, uh, we had, as you have mentioned, a very uh, a strict uh, lockdown in Spain when the uh, COVID uh, pandemic started. And basically for three months, all uh, libraries and um, bookstores were closed and uh, had a huge impact in the publishing sector. Sales came down almost uh, 30%. And, and basically, everyone thought that it was the end of, of, of the sector because we had had previously... 10 years of very small growth, of negative growth, uh, derived from a financial uh, crisis and then the pandemic. But fortunately, as you know, no, after the, those three months, things came back uh, and little by little, we went back to, back to normal, basically, uh, now in this year. Well, and, and, and so helping with the situation, of course, were some government subsidies for those publishers. But what really mattered, and I know this is important to you, is that Span Spaniards ma maintained their reading habits by taking advantage of existing digital platforms. It was very, very interesting because, I mean, the uh, government had invested in e-lending platforms like a Biblio and Eli, uh, Eli uh two e-lending platforms that had been in Spain for the last five years. But a lot of people either uh, didn't have the time for them or they did, were not aware of their existence. And because all bookstores and, and, and libraries were closed, they, you know, basically discovered them. 
And the government reported a 200% increase in the usage of these platforms. And then when we went back to normal uh, back in June, July of 2020, uh, people went back to bookstores, of course, and libraries and started buying, again, print books. Uh, but uh, half of the people who visited those sites and started using e-lending programs of uh, e-books and audiobooks remained using them uh, for the years after. So basically, the pandemic has had a very positive effect uh, making the digital services more visible because it was not only e-lending, but also subscription services. There were, there were several platforms in the market like Audible, Storytel, and, and, and others in the market. And they had huge growth uh, during 2020, which has been maintained in 21. There has been basically now, as in, as in many markets, uh, a restructuring of the growth, meaning that we compare uh, 2021 to 22, the growth has only been 15%. But if we compare 2021 to 2019, two normal years, the growth has been over 40%. If we, you know, the compound growth has been tremendous. So both formats, print and digital, are growing, growing quite strongly in Spain after the pandemic. So it's very good news. And, and your work at Dos Deque, Javier Celia, you are concerned not only with Spain, but with the Spanish language markets across South America as well as Mexico. So, so contrast the situation there in those uh, nations. Uh, they're they're very close to the U.S. market. Of course, there are some significant differences. Tell us about the way that Latin American readers have also embraced digital. Yeah, uh, it is very interesting because when we talk about the Spanish market, we tend to talk about Spain because Spain is basically the, the main country in terms of producing content in Spanish. But the consumption countries, meaning the people who consume that content, is uh, Latin America. We have over 500 million uh, Spanish-speaking inhabitants from Mexico all the way down to Argentina, and especially more than 60 million people in the U.S. who are uh, Americans, meaning they were born in the U.S., they, they work in English, they study in English, but they maintain their Latino roots in, in their culture, and they listen to music, and they watch the news in Spanish, and now they also read uh, uh, in digital as well as listen to audiobooks uh, uh, in Spanish. And during the pandemic, the same thing that happened in Spain when you know most of the bookstores in Latin America were closed, digital boom in those countries. Uh, uh, like, for example, e-books had a, a 200% increase uh, in, in 2020 compared to 2019. Uh, but the same thing happened in, in, in 21 and now in 22 as well. We've seen continuous growth of digital consumption in all the different uh, uh, formats, unit sales, uh, subscription services, as well as e-lending uh, services. And I think it's because of the proximity to the U.S., as you mentioned. There is a lot of people from Latin America that have family in the U.S. and they work in the U.S. or they study in the U.S. or they visit in the U.S. And they bring back to their countries their e-commerce behaviors and they understand the streaming service quite naturally. And we've seen that behavior being extended in the whole region very rapidly. It's fascinating, I think, and I want to explore a little bit further the uh, success of streaming services um, in Spain and in the Latin American countries. It, it does contrast with um, the situation so far in the U.S. as well as in the U.K., where many publishers have resisted uh, the the move towards uh, subscription. But in the markets that you follow, Javier Salea, you've seen some real uptake. And, and it's not just that this is helping the bottom line, but it's bringing new readers uh, uh, into the uh, into their audiences. 
Yeah, I think the main difference compared especially to the Anglo-Saxon markets where there, as you mentioned, some uh, big five uh, uh, publishers were reluctant to go into subscription service. In the Spanish market, Spain, Latin America, all the publishers have embraced subscription except Penguin Random House that, as you know, uh, they decided globally in at the end of uh, 2019 to uh, exclude all their catalog from the ebook and audiobook services. But the rest of the players uh, are fully embracing subscription because they understand that is the only way to reach, especially millennials and set uh, uh, generations, meaning people from 20 to 35, that they understand streaming as a service, meaning that they consume their content in their mobile and on the go. They do not understand that unit purchase as their, you know, way of, of, of acquiring content. And they have seen extremely good results. And most of the publishers, from big publishers like Planeta to independent publishers like Anagrama, they basically today release their new releases in print together with ebook and audiobook simultaneously. And, and also they're embracing uh, streaming um, as a way to not only getting new audiences from these generations that, that, that I mentioned, but also as a way to uh, reach other markets. Uh, Spain has always been an export market and, uh, in the publishing sector, and streaming, uh, being that you know internet has no frontiers, allows the uh, publishers to reach markets. For example, in Europe, 10% of the sales incurred by Spanish publishers in Spain are derived from streaming services in Europe. Germany, UK, the Nordics, people who visit Spain, they have maybe their second residence in Spain. And when they go back to their countries, they want to continue reading in Spanish and they use this streaming service to access that content. And it's not just the streaming services that are global. Of course, Spanish is a global language. As you mentioned, uh, half a billion speakers uh, in Latin America alone. And that global uh, nature of this audience is changing the relationship that Spanish publishers have traditionally had with their South American audiences and the South American counterparts. It's, it's a real opportunity and a challenge as well. Tell us about that. Uh, who's in the driver's seat at this point? Well, this is very interesting, and we've seen, especially in the last two years, as more content has uh, come up in, in digital format, especially in audio. We speak the same, the same uh, language, as you mentioned. Spanish is spoken by more than half a million people, uh, 500 million people worldwide. But we have different accents. Uh, we have Spanish from Spain, Castilian Spanish, and they have Latin American accent. And what we've seen is that uh, Latin American accent uh, sells better in the Hispanic U.S. Uh, market. Out of those 60 million people that I mentioned, first and second generation Americans, they have Latino roots. 40 million of them are Mexican. Therefore, they're interested in Mexican topics and in content that is being produced with Mexican accent. So many publishers like Penguin Random House and Planeta are producing their audio content with Latin American accent in order to have a better uh, a commercial performance in Latin America together with uh, the U.S. market. So before we used to be a country that we produced content in Spain and it was exported directly in print to uh, Latin America and the U.S., now the same publishers are producing content that with Latin American accent to be sold in Latin America and the U.S. Well, it's an interesting influence of the audience on the publisher's activities. And another way we're seeing that uh, in the U.S., of course, is with BookTok. And I understand you're seeing the same in Spain as well as in other Spanish language markets, that, that readers are telling publishers what they want. Yeah, it, it, 
it was a bit later than other markets. You know, in those dots, we follow up this trend and we publish several articles of how this new movement, as you said, driven by the readers, uh, was already, you know, producing uh, very good results in the U.S. and in the U.K. and in Germany. It took a couple of months uh, to get here. We usually assume it's, you know, a bit of slow at the beginning with new technologies. But now, uh, you know, users in Spain are embracing this tool. And publishers are doing today uh, uh, some activities around uh, book talks, uh, more from promotional uh, I think we will see uh, during the next few months a more uh, sales-driven effort, meaning that they're really creating a sales channel uh, through this new way of going to market. But I think it's really, really interesting, and we'll see it growing, as well as TikTok. We've seen in TikTok itself, uh, with the BookTok uh, uh, activities, becoming this bridge of uh, uh, promotion uh, and uh, sales derived derive from that promotion. All right. Well, Javier Celea in Madrid, Spain, thank you very much for a look at the Spanish market and the Spanish language market around the world. Our next stop in the program today is to Paris, where we'll first visit with Fabrice Pio at the headquarters of Leave Hebdo, not far from the Latin Quarter. Salute, Fabrice. Nice to meet you, Chris. It's good to have you join us today. And, and I would like you to sort of pick up the point that Javier started with, which goes us, t- takes us back to the days of 2020, because it's important. We're in the sort of near normal period, but for a long time, things were quite not normal. And in, in Paris and France, certainly that was the case. The, the first lockdown, the confinement, the confinement, as, uh, as it's called in, uh, in French, um, really led to some, some tremendous fear for the future of publishing and book selling. Yes, because the, the market uh, stopped completely. I mean, the, uh, the booksellers were closed. Uh, the publishers were, had to, to um, interrupt their publication program. Uh, during the whole uh, 2020 year, um, there has been only a little more than 60,000 new titles. Uh, usually, it's 68,000. So um, it's a, it's a huge uh, it's a huge difference. And um, but rapidly, actually, uh, the, the 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 bookstores were recognized as essential shops. So they were among the first uh, shops to, to reopen. Uh, not completely, of course, and with the special, special rules. But um, finally, the, the, in the, during the whole year, the market w- went down only 4.5%. So it's not so terrible. And the most important is that during this period, there, there, um, there has been uh, emerging a new a new dynamic in the on the book market and uh, 2021 was the very best years for decades with um, an increase of the sales of um, more than um, 12 um, sorry I, I, I yeah it's um, 17% sorry 17 per, more than 17% increase of uh, of um, of book sales so, um, so finally, if there, there has been a, a very important shock uh, during the first half of 2020, then uh, the market w- went, uh, went up again. But of course, with a lot of uncertainty, because sometimes shops were closed, sometimes open, and, uh, and people didn't know what will happen next. 
Well, and, and the booksellers really pushed to have themselves declared essential. As I remember, uh, they weren't immediately so. And they really made the case that in France, and it's true around the world, uh, books and reading are essential activities. They're part of our culture, part of our lives. But they had to make sure the government heard that and allowed them to be opened uh, as along with the supermarkets and pharmacies and so forth. Yeah, there has been a very important campaign in France uh, to uh, to to promote uh, independent bookstores. And um, uh, first, many many bookstores, even during the lockdown, uh, they opened some uh, um, nearly secret services of click and collect. So um, so you know they they just uh, open a little their door for some customers who had made some reservation online or things like this. And then progressively, the, all this um, type of initiatives expanded. And um, and yes, well, they, they, they have been recognized as essential. And so um, for, long, for a long time, they, they were the nearly the only, only type of shops open with, of course, uh, pharmacy and uh, things like that. Right. And, and this, uh, even though things turned out better than people had feared, um, and the sales uh, were, were uh, able to recover, it's still a challenge when you can't go into a bookstore and browse, uh, which is the habit in, in Paris, I know. Um, your, your ability to find new works and to discover books is, is limited. And in France, that was, uh, you know, the, the, the result was that Prize-winning books, the books that got attention in the media, have really done very well indeed. The, the Prix Goncourt in 2020, um, as well as in 2021, the sales there have been very strong. Actually, except except for travel books, the market has been good in for all, all categories of books. But um, in each category, it was always the, the, the best-seller books who were sold the uh, the best actually because it was uh, as as the, the it was not possible to have so many people in each bookseller all, all the discovery system didn't didn't uh, work as it used to 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 work so um, the goncourt the prix goncourt the anomaly from uh, hervé letellier sold now more than a million copies and it's the most important uh, uh, goncourt in france since uh, well, in a little more probably than uh, *L'Amant* of uh, Marguerite Duras, so uh, it's a really uh, a huge success. As well as the the, the book which uh, just recently won the award for 2021 uh, by Senegalese writer Mohamed Mugar Sar, that has done very well too, has it not? Yes, absolutely, uh, and it's it's also uh, this is also interesting because it is um, it it shows also the growing interest for um, French French literature, uh, but uh, from uh, from other countries, from French speaking countries, but outside outside France. Um, uh, Mohamed Bougarsar is uh, from Senegal, but there are others. I mean, uh, Jaili Amadou Amal also, she's from Cameroon, and um, or Leila Slimani, who is uh, Franco-Moroccan, uh, um, they, they have they have uh, a growing success, and uh, it has been growing also during uh, during this period. I think it's not only a, a French phenomenon; uh, uh, we can see it also on the in, in English uh, 
English-speaking world. And we've been surprised, for example, to see uh, David Diop, who is um, uh, now a, a well-known author from Senegal, writing in French, uh, having the, the Booker Prize uh, last year. So that's also, um, I think, a, an important sign. Well, it's an interesting facet of globalization. We think of globalization leading to homogenization, but uh, what you're talking about there is really increasing the diversity of works available. And finally, to bring us uh, to 2022 and the market today, where do we stand? We've just come off of the recent French presidential election uh, in our own country in the U.S. in 2020. That led to a real boom in uh, political books, books about Donald Trump particularly. Um, where are sales today, and and do writers like Eric Zemmour, who ran for president, or the ex-president uh, Sarkozy, um, what what are their sales like? Actually, books from politicians are not uh, are not often successful in um, in France. Uh, there is an exception for Zemmour, but Zemmour was a, he he was a journalist and he has been writing uh, uh, for years, and uh, he's also always a, a successful. Uh, Author Sarkozy, it's a different phenomenon. Uh, Sarkozy is one of the only political politicians to write him his books alone. I mean, uh, there isn't any uh, ghostwriter behind him, and uh, and he's really a bestseller author. In to, in twenty twenty, he he um, he sold uh, more than uh, one hundred and sixty uh, copies of. Uh, Le temps des tempêtes, uh, time for uh, time of storms, or something like this, and uh, this was the third uh, non third best uh, seller in nonfiction in the nonfiction category, and the thirtieth best sell all categories uh, uh, included. And um, last year also he published. Uh, uh, it's a different book. It's more a sort of art books. It's called Promenades. Um, it's about his uh, what he likes in terms of uh, literature, and uh, this is uh, much less uh, much less copy. It's only um, twelve thousand, but it's uh, it's an expensive book, and it's um, it's the twenty fifth best uh, best sales among the art books uh, in France. Well, well, thank you for that picture of the French market, Fabrice Pio with Leave Hebdo. And also in Paris, joining us today is journalist Olivia Snage, who reports on authors and publishers from France, as well as the Middle East and Africa. Salute, Olivia. Salut. Hello. So, hello. So, so adding to our picture of the French marketplace, there are some interesting contrasts with the with the North American experience, and 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 one of them is the 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 rise of agents, which uh, I suppose implies the fact that there really haven't been there isn't a tradition of literary agents working uh, in France. Fill us in on that, and and why you think it's important. Um, well, the subject of literary agents, it's something I've been following uh, in France since about 2009, since I started covering the book industry. And um, the fact that literary agents have taken so long to become a thing in France is, I think it's a cultural phenomenon um, unique to France, because in uh, neighboring European countries, Germany, Italy, Spain, it's really a non-issue. But um, traditionally in France, uh, authors and publishers have a privileged, very close relationship 
And the bigger publishing houses have well-respected rights teams um, that take care of selling the author's rights. But, uh, and also agents were viewed sort of suspiciously as, as an Anglo-Saxon import that was there to be mercantile and, and sort of come between the relationship of the author and the publisher. But the number of agents has been growing and, um, uh, over the years. And there's even a professional association of agents now that uh, I think was founded in 2016. And there are apparently about 32 uh, literary agents now, but they still have no official status, I believe. And um, so to explain the increase, uh, one agent who used to be an editor at uh, several of the big houses here said that uh, there's a trend in France, which already happened in the Anglo-Saxon world, which is the consolidation of publishing houses. And so payroll for editors was reduced and editors had less time for their authors, which, you know, gives agents a role to play. Um, that said, most of the agents that I speak to, although they say things are improving, they're still not fully integrated into the industry. And an example would be that, uh, for example, last month during the Festival du Livre de Paris, uh, which is not a professional fair, there was a professional um, rights market that was organized by the BIEF, which is a body that helps um, French publishers to develop international export, um, rights sales and acquisitions. And um, it also should be underlined that members of the BIEF are exclusively publishers. But anyway, um, literary agents weren't invited to this rights market. And um, uh, even if there were some agents present, but that's because they were affiliated with publishers, and uh, so the Association of Literary Agents wrote an op-ed uh, calling, you know, sort of complaining about this and calling for more openness, um, which would probably actually benefit everyone. So I guess that's an example of how they're not fully integrated into the system. And um, there's, for example, I guess the, the BF could open membership to literary agents as well. Well, it's interesting that there's some resistance there. We'll have to watch that story. I'm sure literary agents in the U.S. are, are, are looking on with interest. Another area uh, that has been interesting regarding rights, and certainly agents play you know, an important role in um, acquiring you know, uh, or, or in the acquisition of rights for publishers, involves the francophone authors uh, who may be in France, but who are taking some steps to control the rights to their works to be published in other countries. Uh, and this really comes down to an economics for, uh, for, for readers uh, in, across Africa. Yeah, I mean, um, lots of uh, well-known Francophone authors um, from former French colonies, uh, many of them are published by the, the, the well-known uh, publishing uh, companies in, in uh, France. And uh, it, in a way, it's almost tied to, to, to rights also because uh, they're realizing that in order for their books to become um, available in the, their respective countries and on the African continent, uh, they have to be, first of all, distributed and be made affordable. So a lot of um, uh, authors, uh, mainly from the African continent, are starting to keep their rights for uh, local publishers in Africa. And given that um, traditionally French publishers were used to having world rights, they're not used to sort of breaking up territories. And so they're getting used to this with, with the advent of, of, um, of agents. But um, just as an example, uh, a book that's published in France, let's say by a Senegalese author, 
when it's exported and distributed in an African country, it costs anywhere from 12 to 27 times more proportionately in terms of um, purchasing power. So uh, your book might cost $150 or $300. And, you know, who, who, who could buy a book at that price? Um, so you have examples like um, this has been going on for a while, though. Kamel Daoud, the very well-known Algerian author who writes in French, he keeps his rights for Algeria with his publisher, Barzac. Um, and I think he's published by Actsud in France. But uh, the Goncourt uh, winner that you mentioned, uh, the Senegalese Bougarsar, uh, he kept his rights for a Senegalese publisher while he's published um, uh, by a French publisher, uh, in Paris. Yeah, it, it's an interesting way that authors are being mindful of their rights, uh, of, of the ownership of their work. And I think it also is important to think about the way it's helping to expand and, and grow the audience of readers uh, where it's been limited before. It's a really interesting story, Olivia. Um, and we've been talking with the other uh, reporters here today about the impact of the pandemic. And in the Middle East, which you cover very closely, um, they are celebrating the return of book fairs because that has been uh, not on the table, not on the calendar for the last two years. And that has really um, meant that it has been a, a loss of opportunity, a loss of sales in that market. Tell us why. Well, I mean, publishers are breathing a huge sigh of relief because this is their main uh, avenue for selling books because distribution across the Arab territories is so difficult. So as I'm sure you know, um, publishers compare themselves to traveling salesmen, I mean, or salespeople. They go to all the book fairs around the Arab world and it's such a vast territory. I mean, if you think about it, you're traveling uh, in the West from, you know, in Morocco to the East in Saudi Arabia. And um, so with the Abu Dhabi book fair coming up um, at the end of the month, I've been speaking to publishers in a variety of countries and um, I can talk a little bit about what, you know, Lebanese and Egyptian publishers have said, because they have lots of well-known publishers. Um, in Lebanon, they're dealing with a lot, uh, I mean, a uh, uh, an economic and political crisis that's, you know, never been seen before. Uh, the Lebanese pound has been devalued over 90%. They have paper shortages. And on top of it, there was a ban on export to Saudi Arabia because of a political kerfuffle, which seems to be over. But this was actually really serious because um, uh, some publishers export anywhere between 30 and 70% of their books to Saudi Arabia. But anyway, so they're soldiering on. <laughs> and um, the publisher Dar al-Adab, uh, which has the reputation of being um, the Gallimard of Arab publishers, uh, has a new translation of Edward Said's classic Orientalism, which he wrote in English, of course. And uh, they're going to Abu Dhabi. They're going to launch... Um, a prison novel written by Nasser Abu Srur, who's a Palestinian serving life sentence in an Israeli prison. Um, he was arrested when he was 19 in 1993. And he's since then gotten a master's in political science and has written poetry. And I believe his brother snuck the manuscript out. Um, then let's see after Dara Oh, Dara Ladab also has a book on um, the shortlist for the international prize for uh, Arabic fiction by an Emirati author, Reem Al-Kamali. Uh, Dar al-Saki, another well-known Lebanese publisher, also has an author, uh, the Kuwaiti Khaled Nasrallah, on the shortlist of the International Prize for Arabic Fiction. And um, I spoke to an Egyptian publisher, Al-Arabi, 
Uh, it's been rough in Egypt as well, but not as rough as in Lebanon. Um, the Egyptian pound lost about 20% of its value recently following the war in Ukraine. And um, so, uh, but this publisher, uh, Al-Arabi, has been using um, their time really well when there weren't any book fairs <laughs> to travel to. And they've upgraded internal software. They've been making all their books available as eBooks, and they're experimenting with print-on-demand. Um, they began a YouTube channel with interviews uh, with their foreign authors uh, because they're known for publishing translated fiction from around the world. And uh, they're doing super well with international crime series and uh, a recent translation of a Swedish author, uh, Anders Rosland, whose book Knock Knock is already in its second printing in Arabic. Well, well, an interesting use of technology in that case to to get around the limitations of not having sales venues like book fairs. Olivia Snage in Paris, thank you, thank you for that report. And and joining us now from Vienna is Rudiger Wiesenbart. He follows the German language markets of Europe, including Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. Welcome in, Rudiger. Hello, Chris. Uh, well, you, I would ask you the same question I've asked the others, Rudiger, which is about the COVID impact in the marketplace that you follow. Um, as uh, Javier Salea was telling us, uh, in Spain, we've seen a, a, a real a strengthening of uh, subscription services, looking at publishing as a subscription play rather than a single print unit uh, play. Um, tell us about uh, the German markets. Wh wh where do you stand or, or, or where do they stand around that uh, environment of digital and subscriptions? And, and was, 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 was the COVID lockdown the really uh, critical factor in, in any change? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I can very much echo what um, uh, Javier Celaya has said about the Spanish language markets. Uh, what we've seen, and I got the latest numbers uh, this morning, uh, is a continuous upswing in anything that is digital. And uh, at the beginning in 2020, when the lockdowns hit, uh, some people said, well, that will be just uh, for the time of uh, bookshops being closed. Now, two years on, we see that is here to stay. And when I say that, that's an entire range of different digital things. Number one, E-commerce, as everywhere, has uh, even increased. We have now uh, roughly a third of book sales uh, in the German language going through online um, uh, purchases, uh, up from quite a few percent less. And um, we have seen uh, an increasing gap uh, in the recovery between um, the overall market, which was very stable, similar to France, uh, losses have been recovered, but that was only the case for the overall market. If you look at local brick and mortar store, uh, stores, uh, they have still um, double digit uh, losses by comparison to 2019. So there is an opening gap between uh, the physical distribution and online e-commerce. Number two, we have seen, as expected, uh, a rise in e-book sales, which was uh, ever more noticeable as um, e-books had become kind of boring. They never went beyond the 8 to 10% of the market share uh, in the German language. 
but suddenly they they uh, they increased their share, and that came in tandem with uh, even more relevant uh, increase of the audiobook market. We have seen also that by category, uh, it's much more diverse now. Uh, children books in digital and in audiobooks have uh, received very significant uh, sales pushes. Uh, new formats have, have come around. And then, as you mentioned, Chris, uh, everything that is streaming, subscription, etc., cetera, uh, has become a fixture that is not going away now. What we've seen in these uh, really up-to-date data for uh, the full year of 2021 and even for uh, first quarter of 2022, we see that there is a little bit of a decline as compared to the big peak in 2021. But the, 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 the basis, the threshold of uh, everything that comes in digital formats and through dif uh, various dif uh, digital distribute, uh, distribution models, um, that is not going away anymore. We have, not surprisingly, with a huge presence of Penguin Random House, uh, that debate about uh, if subscription is a viable uh, business model for publishers. And we have an even harsher debate about lending of ebooks. Many, many publishers are strictly against uh, lending um, the, 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 the standard models of giving new uh, titles to, to libraries in digital formats by fear of cannibalization. But uh, we see that all that has found their audiences and these audiences will not return to the practices and preferences of uh, two and a half, three years ago. Well, you know, Rudiger, as you were speaking, I was just thinking, we've been talking for a while now about books and publishing around the world. We haven't brought up the word Amazon. So I want to bring it up with you, Rudiger. Tell us about the place of Amazon in the German language market and the very interesting competitive, uh, the competition that's going on there with a local e-commerce provider? Yes. Uh, well, expectedly, uh, Amazon is the largest uh, bookseller. We don't know exact numbers, uh, but estimates are that uh, Amazon makes a turnover from books of 1.3 billion euros. Uh, but we have a contender in the, um, um, uh, with the second, uh, with the largest um, chain bookstore, uh, Thalia, which is a genuine German brand. And uh, they have been very, very poorly, uh, almost at risk of disappearance a little bit uh, more than 10 years ago and did the fabulous turnaround and now are uh, also around 1 billion, uh, even uh, over 1 billion euros in turnover from books. And they had also a very, very strong uh, performance uh, in the lockdown period because they bet very early on on what they called omni-channel approaches. And they even encouraged uh, other independent booksellers to use their platform for selling printed books. So suddenly you see a much more balanced, uh, less consolidated, less monopolistic situation um, in, in the German language markets by comparison to, let's say, uh, the Anglo-Saxon markets.
And that is and, even true, I'm sorry, uh, that is even true for ebooks, where you have with the Tolino Alliance, which, is, uh, which has some involvement of Kobo Rakuten, um, you have an alternative to the Kindle. And, and BookTok is also helping to drive uh, digital sales, uh, di- di- digitally first uh, sales uh, in the German language markets. And, and as you see it, this is an interesting disruption of tradition and, and, and the, the whole role of the high priest of publishing. Uh, that is changing and, and it's, 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 it's of benefit to, to, to readers, you see. For me, the most fascinating observation, not just because of COVID, but accelerated very clearly by COVID and lockdowns, etc., is the increasing fragmentation and segmentation of uh, the book industry and the book consumption. We haven't mentioned another keyword, which is increasingly important uh, so far in that uh, program, and that is self-publishing. And uh, the other day, I made. Uh, I, I was just getting curious, and I compared uh, ebook best-selling lists uh, with ebooks from publishers, with what Amazon has, and also what Tolino Alliance has as fiction bestsellers. And there is hardly any overlap. So suddenly, you find audiences, consumers, who go their own ways and uh, who form their own communities. And this is where BookTok then very successfully comes in because BookTok is very much about creating communities. And we are still at the very early stages, in my understanding, uh, to grasp what that segmentation, that specialization of different communities and audiences and uh, the uh, respective forms of promotional conversation will have as an impact long-term on the book business from authoring to producing to distribution to reading uh, overall. Well, we've been talking, Rudiger, about inclusion and diversification, uh, but there's a movement to exclusion at the moment going on, which involves the Russian market. And I know you watch that closely. What can we say at this point uh, in May 2022, three months into uh, the invasion of the Ukraine, about the Russian publishing market? Uh, Very hard question. Um, We had, at first, to my surprise, a few fairly strong statements by the leading by, um, by high-ranking um, um, management of the leading uh, Russian, uh, Russian book uh, group, uh, Exmo ISD, where they, they, they wouldn't condemn the war because the war uh, as a term was not even um, allowed to, uh, to, to say. But uh, they had quite outspoken reactions on saying uh, we don't need that uh, that uh, that special operation in the ukraine etc and at the same time uh, from the ukrainian side there was very harsh criticism in in professional uh, social media um, circles about um, the russian market which had a very predominant uh, role in uh, ukraine before the war uh, and they were already really Quite some 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 important controversies going on. Uh, I haven't heard anything 
much about that lately. Well, from the Ukrainian side, not very surprisingly, because uh, they have other uh, concerns right now, which is just survival. And we learned today that perhaps uh, some 8 million people are displaced one way or another uh, out of a population of 14 mil 40 million. Um, in, uh, and in Russian, the, the censorship, the pressure on any, any uh, opinions, any expressions of whatever has become, uh, which is different from, from the official propaganda, uh, has been, uh, become more and more strict. So we don't know very much. There is one very important thing, uh, however, that we must say what uh, concerns the international communication between Western international uh, book people and, and Russia. Right at the beginning, uh, a number of the leading book fairs internationally had uh, gotten to a mutual understanding to say, we make a big difference between the official government-controlled um, organizations, which are in charge of Russian collective stands, Russian collective uh, PR for the Russian uh, book. On the one hand, they are excluded from all the international book fairs, no collective stands. But at the same time, uh, in Bologna, uh, there was a very, very um, uh, warm embracement of um, books from the Ukraine, uh, some conversations with uh, there were not really Russian publishers uh, anywhere in these fairs, not uh, not even in London. But um, there is uh, on the on the on the um, professional side, there is some communication continue uh, continuing to uh, to occur. All right. Well, thank you indeed, Rudiger Rieschenbach, for joining us today. And, and, and I want to turn now to someone I speak to every week about the U.S. market, mostly. Andrew Albanese publishes weekly. Senior writer, welcome to our program today. Hey there, Chris. I, I just want to warn you, a construction crew is set up outside my window. I've enjoyed this little tour of the world, but we're clearly back in New York now. You are, so I apologize are for, the, <laughs> for the jackhammering. We are, we are indeed back in New York. But I want to ask you uh, to, to speak above the sound of the jackhammers and, and, and tell us about your reactions listening to this. There, there's some interesting common elements in the story of book and book publishing around the world, but there are some interesting contrasts with the U.S. experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll start with what the common thread is, and that's COVID, right? COVID really sort of changed the game uh, for every publisher. Now, in the U.S., as in the rest of the world, uh, the publishing industry has performed magnificently through COVID in terms of its sales, right? We saw you know, I, I don't have the exact numbers for the last two years, but it's fair to say we've stuffed about 10 years of growth for the industry into the last two years, which is really quite remarkable. I mean, publishing is a mature industry. If, you, if you're able to get one to two, maybe 3% growth a year, you're doing very, very well. The gaudy double-digit growth we've seen for the last couple of years has really been remarkable. Um, I think a lot of that has been driven by a lot of the trends that that uh, uh, our European counterparts have seen, and that's you know, book talk, for example. In fact, uh, Jonathan Carp, the CEO of Simon and Schuster, in their earnings call uh, for the end of the first quarter, called out book talk as you know a, a, something that was really driving sales for the company. And what's interesting in the U.S. too is that the sales bump has really been driven by backlist sales. Right? We can't highlight enough. 
how much backlist sales. In fact, it's as much as 70% of some publishers' uh, sales here in the U.S., which is pretty remarkable. Now, backlist sales are always an, apart, an important part of publisher sales, um, but 70% is a large number. And I think looking forward, we'll have to see how that continues to go. I think at some point the conversation is going to be, you know, what's wrong with the front list <laughs> if the backlist continues to do this. But I want to point this back to BookTok because, you know, I think BookTok is a big driver of backlist sales and it's a big driver of print sales too, right? Because you look at these videos and there's people with physical books and you can flip through the pages and things you can't really do with an ebook. And that's one of the differences here is that in the U.S., the digital market has actually started to come back down to earth. In the early days of the pandemic shutdowns, we saw uh, digital, we saw ebooks really sort of take off and fill the gap. Um, but, you know, I think the jury is, is, is maybe not quite out on ebooks here, but I think that we know about where ebooks are going to land. It's about an 80-20 print to digital, uh, you know, uh, ratio here in the U.S., and while digital sales spiked during the pandemic, they're now settling back into about where they were. And, and the other point that came up, uh, but we only lightly touched on the European experience and the global experience was around consolidation. And that's an issue in the U.S., of course. We've got the Department of Justice trying to block the acquisition of Simon & Schuster by Penguin Random House, taking us potentially from the big five down to the big four. Talk about the role of consolidation and, and, and how you view it in, in, in its, its place in, in globalization. I think there's going to be a, a courtroom drama unfolding this summer uh, with the, the the Department of Justice suing to block the acquisition of Simon & Schuster uh, by Penguin Random House, by Bertelsmann. And I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out, to be quite honest. Um, you know, the government has based its case around a, a fairly narrow argument so far from what I've seen from the filings, and that's that, you know, this subset of best-selling authors stand to not get as high advances if there's a, a merging of Simon and & Schuster and Penguin Random House. And I don't think that that's wrong. I think that that may indeed be true. Penguin Random House, Simon & Schuster dispute that. The Authors Guild say that's absolutely the case. But what's unclear from the government's case so far is, and I think it's important, is this where we're drawing the line now, right? Are we drawing the line at five? The big five, is that going to be it? Or if this merger is not allowed to go through, is News Corp and the second largest you know, publisher going to be able to buy Simon & Schuster? And so we'll still wind up with four publishers, but instead of having one big one at the top, we'll have two big ones at the top. And I don't think there's going to be an appreciable difference on author advances if we have two big ones at the top versus one. I think the die has been cast on that. So I, I think in the U.S. we're, we're going to have a, a real showdown, a real discussion about bigness. And you know, I should also point out when we're while we're talking about bigness that the real bigness, the real player here, which we touched on briefly in the European with the Europeans, is Amazon. Um, lawmakers have now turned their attention to Amazon, but it's still unclear what's going to actually come of that. We've seen hearings, we've seen a report issued on Amazon. There's been concerns. There's been uh, you know potential legal action, but it's really unclear as to you know how the government is going to approach the size of Amazon. But we do know they are going to take a swing at blocking uh, Penguin Random House from acquiring Simon & Schuster. All right. Well, Andrew Albanese with Publishers Weekly, thanks for the perspective. I want to bring back our global panel. We are talking today about how books get covered around the world and, and, and maybe a way to 
bring us all back together is 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 to turn to our panelists and, and ask about how they view the U.S. market and the role that the U.S. market and U.S. publishers play uh, in 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 their particular countries. Uh, and Javier Saleh, what, what what about that? Um, you watch closely from Madrid. You studied in New York. You you know the American market probably almost as well, if not as well, as you know the the Spanish language market. How do you see the points that Andrew just made, the consolidation concerns and the concerns around the, the, the market dominance of Amazon? Well, I think we are uh, entering a digital age where these global trends become common in every market and the pace of that transformation is even more rapid. I mean, that concentration that uh, uh, Andrew just mentioned in the U.S. is happening also here in Spain. Uh, with international players and local players, maybe it will be you know the difference that is not a concentration on only local players, but also concentration of big players like Penguin Random House and local players like uh, Planeta, and then Amazon. There are different studies that clearly indicate that today they already have close of twenty-five to thirty percent of the market, including print and digital. In digital, of course, it's almost uh, more than fifty percent, and if you go to audiobooks, it could go up to seventy uh, percent of the market. Uh, so, you know, uh, there are some local players in, in the different uh, fields like bookstores or subscription services that can uh, compete against these uh, global players. But the reality is that the economies of the scale of digital uh, makes that competition more and more difficult. From a content point of view, the U.S. used to be the place where international content became best selling worldwide. I'm noticing that's not the case anymore, meaning that it will continue, you know, content from the U.S., especially in certain categories like true crime uh, will come out of that uh, uh, country. But we've seen other places across the world where two stories become uh, worldwide uh, uh, best uh, sellers. We've seen this in streaming. We have, you know, a TV series from Korea or, or content coming from Spain becoming worldwide. I think in publishing, we're also going to see that trend uh, very soon. All right. Well, in the few minutes that we have left, I, I want to turn to the other panelists and, and ask about what you're watching as this year, 2022, marches on. We're already almost at the halfway point. And if you are seeing any particular trends or any concerns in, in the marketplace and Fabrice Pio uh, from France, um, uh, in France, there is a, a so-called fixed price law. So that helps to uh, keep the price of books equal across all sellers. So Amazon can't take an advantage by by driving a lot of discounts but but uh, is is Amazon um, trying to make a move is is, is there a chance that that uh, the situation may change there in France or, or or how do you see it Amazon in France is uh, no more than 15 percent of the market and uh, well it's quite important but uh, it's not growing so much because probably of the fixed price of course and uh, because of the importance of independent booksellers which are really uh, defended by all the all the political party, and there is a, a unity on this. I mean, uh, in the French culture, um, independent bookstores are in the core of the of the business, and there are uh, many initiatives uh, taken by all political parties to to, to protect them, um, and especially uh, regarding uh, Amazon competition. 
All right. Well, and, and Rudiger Wieschenbart uh, from Vienna, you, you follow the world. You, you publish the Global 50, a, a look at the, the top publishers around the world. Um, are you seeing anything changing that's, uh, that's important to watch for in the next few months? Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> Let me highlight two things. Uh, first, consolidation. Uh, in the German language market, uh, at first glance, we have much less consolidation as, for instance, in, uh, in France or in Spain. Uh, and half a year ago, when I talked to friends and said, well, let's, let's discuss consolidation in Germany, they said, what consolidation? It hasn't changed. And then I said, well, in retail, there is a lot of consolidation going on with the few chains getting much bigger. Oh, yes, here we have a lot of consolidation in wholesale. Same thing. Big changes. Uh, so what I anticipate is um, uh, a tremendous transformation uh, in the less visible parts of the book industry. Supply chain issues consolidation in wholesale, in distribution, uh, and also uh, all the positive developments of the last uh, years have put the largest players at a big advantage. And at the same time, we know that the diversity in books, the many, many topics that we can read about in books, depend extremely uh, strongly on a variety of small and medium-sized publishers. And we have no idea how economically these small and mid-sized publishers are faring. So my concern is if the entirety of the ecosystem, the diversity of the ecosystem of books and reading can be maintained or if that is taking a big hit in the midterm from the pandemic interruption. All right. And Olivia Snage uh, in Paris, but you again cover many of those very, well, we've seen very fragile markets uh, across Africa and in the Middle East. Uh, tell us about your, your final thoughts here. Um, well, they're so different, you know, uh, the, 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 the markets in the Middle East and um, elsewhere. But um, I'd say that they're contrasting. I mean, you have this big problem of consolidation, particularly in France, as Rudiger mentioned. Um, but you also have um, smaller, very dynamic um, independent publishers uh, being created all the time with younger uh, people. And I think the same thing is happening in, um, in other markets where, where small uh, publishers are struggling, but they're because they're passionate about what they do. They just keep on going, and and they're somehow managing, and perhaps getting more uh, visibility because of social media, because of um, book fairs coming back, and so on. So, so a, a, a fragile marketplace, but 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 one that's resilient as well. I think it's a good way to summarize it. I, I, I really appreciate this fantastic conversation, a book tour of the world with our panelists from Madrid, Spain, Javier Salea, CEO and founder of Dostecki.com. Thank you so much, Javier. Thank you to all of you. From Paris, Fabrice Pio, editor-in-chief at Leaf Hebdo. Thank you as well. Thank you, Chris. You're welcome. Also from Paris, Olivia Snage, editor and journalist there. Thank you, Olivia. Thanks to everyone. Thank you. And from Vienna, Rudiger Wieschenbart, founder of Content and Consulting and editor of The Global 50. Thank you, too. Thank you, sir. And it's been a pleasure to have with me Andrew Albanese, Post Weekly Senior Writer, who joins me every Friday on CCC's Velocity of Content podcast. Andrew, thanks for being with us today. 
My pleasure, and I'll speak with you on Friday. Stay informed on the latest developments in books and publishing by subscribing to CCC's podcast series, Velocity of Content. I hope you enjoyed how books get covered around the globe, part of the 2022 U.S. Book Show. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for being with us. Goodbye for now. Thank you.